read immediately. Uh, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. <coughs> and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Uh, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command, command me to come to you on the, on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Amen. Thanks, brother. Now we'll have uh, our pastor David to give us uh, the sermon for today. The title of the sermon is Faith in the Face of Fear. Uh, let me let me pray before we get into the word. Uh, Father God, today has just been one of those days, one of those mornings, especially uh, where a lot has uh, just felt hectic and a lot has gone wrong. Uh, and I'm speaking personally here, and I, I'm sure even as I think about your people uh, who are gathered here today, um, we've had our fair share of you know, tough weeks and uh, weeks that have taken a toll on us. And we come here today uh, to lay down uh, our weariness and our burdens so that we might receive rest for our souls. We ask that you'd be glorified today uh, in our presence, in our midst. When you're glorified, um, life makes sense. When you're the foremost affection of our lives, Everything else falls into place. So help me to get out of the way um, as I seek to point your people uh, to Jesus in your word. Help me by filling me with your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, we've uh, been having small group ministry for a bit over a month now. It's been, it's been really rich. It's been really, really good. Um, and we're going through a, a resource called Gospel in Life. It's all about how the gospel actually changes our lives. Uh, it's been helpful to really get into the nuts and bolts of faith. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, we had 
we had a CG, a community group, and the first question that came up for our discussion was, uh, what is your greatest nightmare? And that's not you know, the usual kind of icebreaker that you'd expect uh, from you know, a session like this. And immediately my mind thought of uh, you know, many things that I'm afraid of. I'm, I'm definitely afraid of the ocean. So I don't like swimming in the ocean. I know some of you have taken a boat out with me to the ocean. It was, it was a big, uh, big thing for me to get off that boat and jump into the water. Um, I'm afraid of just the ocean. I'm afraid of sea creatures and, and sharks especially. Uh, I'm afraid of heights. Um, but that's not what this question was really asking. This question was, you know, not just asking what are your phobias, but you know, what is your greatest nightmare? And what are the things that you really fear? The things that control you? Right? The, th the things that might keep you up at night? And, you know, we found that it was actually the best kind of icebreaker for us. This turned out to be a great question. Uh, because as we began to share about the things that we really do fear, right, the things that do control us, the things that can break us, uh, we were reminded that a group of Christians gathering together, like we all have fears. We all have things that we're actually uh, deathly afraid of. Uh, fears and anxieties about the future, right, about job security, about finances, about being a good dad, Fears and insecurities about present situations and circumstances, right? Tough things that some of us were going through. Fears about things from the past, things that we thought we had, you know, buried in the ground, catching up with us. Seeing this miracle story that we just read, it's a really well-known story, right, about Jesus walking on water, and one of his disciples, Peter, uh, he joins him walking on the waves. And the thing is, he starts to sink as he feels fear, as he feels afraid. And Jesus just tells him straight up, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And on the one hand, it's comforting for us because as Christians, we can, you know, realize, oh, hey, even a disciple like Peter wrestled with fear. That's just like me. That's like every other human being. But on the, on the other hand, you could read this and walk away thinking, you know, when I have fear... It, does that mean I just have to have more faith, like a little bit more faith? Does it mean I just have to not doubt at all? Because that's so hard, isn't it? Like, if you are really wrestling with an anxiety, a fear in your life, and someone just told you, hey, just have more faith, is that helpful? I don't think so. Right, just to muster up more faith in the face of your fears, what about when those fears are crippling and overwhelming? I don't know if you've ever had like a, a, an anxiety attack, a panic attack. You know, that's out of your control. There's more to the story than simply just have faith over fear. And just like the miracle story of last week where Jesus fed 5,000 people, you know, the point isn't to just see in this account what Jesus can do for us in our fears or what we should do ourselves. The point of this miracle, just like the miracle last week, is to see who Jesus really is. Because when we do that, our lives will change. We really see Jesus for who he is in his glory, in his graciousness, 
and His mercy and His love and His power, our lives will change. That's what we've been seeing throughout Matthew's gospel, right? When people see Jesus for who he really, really is, right, beyond the miracles, beyond the teachings, when people really see him as the Son of God, man, their lives radically change. They'll leave everything behind, enjoy just to follow him. And so we need to see Jesus clearly in this passage so that our fears won't control us because we all have them. And we see that Jesus is greater and bigger than our biggest nightmare. So two things in this miracle story that I want us to really see and look at in Jesus, and both of these things show us that Jesus is God in the flesh. The first is Jesus saying that is God. He speaks to us. And the second is Jesus showing that he's God. So first, let me show you Jesus saying that he's God. Um, so if you remember, like I said last week, miraculously, 5,000 people are fed uh, with two measly loaves of bread uh, and some fish. Uh, and then uh, immediately, immediately, Jesus sends his disciples off on a boat, uh, probably around 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And it starts getting real stormy, you know, kind of like how it's been in Sydney for a good couple of weeks now. And he finally gets to retreat to a mountaintop to have some alone time. Because remember, his friend, John the Baptist, has just died. So he's kind of wrestling with the grief of a friend who's passed away suddenly, who's executed horribly. At the same time, he's also thinking about his own death to come on the cross. So he finally goes to this mountaintop and he has some alone time. Jesus needs some alone time, right? He's human. And he sends his disciples off on this boat. And then we read in our text today, it says, In the fourth watch of the night, so that's around 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning, uh, the disciples get caught up in this storm. And this is, this is my worst nightmare, right? To be out on a boat, not just when it's calm, and potentially there are sharks and all sorts of other things in there. This is my worst nightmare, being caught out on a boat in the middle of a storm. Like, I think I would just want to pass out. Like, please, just, can I faint? Or, I, I, it's, I'm so scared of the ocean. So when I read this, uh, this is terrifying for me. And the disciples are no different. They're, they're on this tiny little kind of dinghy, and they're just getting tossed left and right by the storm. And then Jesus comes down from the mountaintop, and we read that he walks on the water to get to this boat. I want you to imagine um, for a sec, it's a stormy night, right? It's 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. You're holding on to something on the boat for your dear life. And you're thinking, I'm going to die. Like, I'm literally going to die today. And you see this figure coming towards you, kind of gliding towards you on the ocean. Uh, that does not help anyone. And that's what the disciples see. And they're so afraid. Look what, look what they say in verse 26. When the disciples saw him uh, walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And this ghost starts speaking to them. And Jesus says, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Right? Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. A very simple, short 
three sentences, two words each. And I just want to look really today at this phrase sandwiched between take heart and sorry, take heart and do not be afraid. It is I. Uh, that's what it's translated for us in the English, but in the Greek it's actually just I am. I am. But it would sound really weird to read it like that. Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Like no one speaks like that. Uh, and the thing is you have to understand that this is the thing that the disciples heard, and this is the thing that completely shattered all of their fear. Why? Why does it make a difference to hear this figure say, I am? It doesn't even mean anything to us. Before the disciples, you know, these guys grew up uh, listening to those old stories of the Exodus. You know, God delivering his people from slavery out of Egypt, sending ten plagues, right, parting the Red Sea, and in particular, um, at the very start of that story, God appears to a guy called Moses in the form of a burning bush. And he tells Moses, I, I, I'm going to send you to take my people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And Moses asks him, uh, who are you though? <laughs> What's your name? I don't know who you are. Tell, tell me who you are so I can tell the people. So that I'm not just going with you know, some random hearsay what is your name? And God says, I am. I am. And this is what, here's what this means. When you say I am, you know, it's to be differentiated from I was, like, and I will be. There's no past tense. There's no future tense in God. God has no beginning. God has no end. He's just eternal. It also means that he's not dependent on anything else. He's not existent because of anyone or anything else. He just is. He just exists. It also means he doesn't change. I am. And this is the name that God gives to Moses. I am, and I'm going with you. So when the disciples hear Jesus say, take heart, I am, you've got to realize in that moment, they're remembering these stories. They're remembering the story of God encountering Moses through the burning bush. And they're realizing this is God. This is the creator. This is the eternal one. This is the one who's not dependent on anyone or in, anything else. Yet we're, we're caught out in the storm. We feel like we're going to die, but, but God himself is here with us. When Jesus says, I am what they're hearing him say is, I am the Lord. And just like I was with my people thousands of years ago, and I delivered them from the Egyptians by parting the Red Sea down the middle, I'm, I'm with you in the storm. So take heart. Don't be afraid. So that's the first thing we need to see here. Jesus says to us that he's God. But secondly, he shows that he's God. How? Uh, by walking on water. Um, and, you know, we might think of the sea as a cool place, right, to go swimming out in, not really me, <laughs> uh, to go fishing in. Um, I don't know, yeah, just, just some people like the ocean, I'm not a fan. Uh, and I think scripture resonates more with how I think of the sea. Uh, it has a very different meaning. It represents chaos. It represents evil, uh, powerful and uncontrollable evil, 
And if you think about it, it's, it makes sense, right? There's a lot of things that we as human beings, we can control. There's a lot of things that we can kind of bend and mold into shape. Like land, you can take land, you can alter it, you can excavate it, you can build things on it, right? But when it comes to the sea, when it comes to the depths of the ocean, right, the vastness of it, the unpredictability of it, like it's, it's overwhelming. And I was actually surprised uh, this week to find out that uh, over 80% of the ocean has never been discovered by, by human beings. How crazy is that? 80% of the ocean. In fact, we know more about the surface of Mars and the moon than we do about the, the ocean floor of our own planet. So Scripture's got something right here. The sea is not to be tamed. It's not to be messed with. And only God has power over the sea because God made the seas. Right? He's the creator. And we see it in the splitting and the closing of the Red Sea, right in that famous account of the Exodus. Moses gets his staff, puts it down, and somehow water splits into two and the people walk through. And then as the Egyptians pursue them, you know, the water collapses back in on them. See it in the book of Jonah, you know, that great uh, account, that great story of a prophet who uh, tries to run away from God on a boat and he gets caught up in a storm. So he gets thrown overboard and God sends a fish, a great fish to swallow him up and then miraculously spit him out three days later. Right, the sea is unpredictable. It's chaotic. But God has control over it. That's the, the point that we have to see here. But look at this. Uh, on this particular day in this story, um, Jesus decides not to take a boat, and that's not because he's anti-boats. Uh, he took a boat, literally, in the verses just before this one, when he was trying to get away from the crowds that were just bombarding him and getting in his face, you know, wanted some alone time. So he takes a boat, and the crowd follows him around the water. He's got nothing against boats, but on this day, he decides not to take a boat, but he sends his disciples ahead. Right, you read in verse 22, uh, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. And then he walks on the water to get to his disciples. I think Jesus wanted to make something very clear for us here. And that is that he has power over the sea. He could have taken a boat, but he didn't because he wanted to show us that he has power over the most uncontrollable, chaotic, deadly form of chaos that we know, the sea. And by that, Jesus not only says that he's God, but he shows us that he is God. And here we get to a really interesting part of the story because this account, it appears in, uh, it appears in two other Gospels, but only in Matthew's Gospel uh, do we get this extra bit about Peter walking on the water. This doesn't come out in the other accounts. So we see how the, disi the disciples respond, and we get a glimpse into one of them, Peter, and he responds by calling out to Jesus after he realizes it's not a ghost. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, all right, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat. And then he starts walking towards Jesus. And, uh, imagine that, right? And he's walking towards Jesus. 
And then he starts to notice the, the stormy waves, the choppy, du- you know that inky blackness that you can't see through? He feels the wind kind of buffeting him from the left and the right. And then he starts to sink. And that's when you know it's over, right? He's afraid. Uh, how could you not be? He begins, he begins to sink like a stone. But he cries out uh, in time, Lord, save me. It says in verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And this is kind of where we pause. And you know, if, if you remember at the start, um, this is where we have a problem. What does it mean to have faith as a Christian when things grip us, when things are scary, when we have things that we fear that overwhelm us? Because this is not something that an ordinary person, even the, the best Christian, can handle. Why does Jesus say, oh, you have little faith, why do you doubt? You know, is it just a matter of faith over fear? Yeah, I, I've, been look, I've been seeing that hashtag on social media from pastors talking about, you know, in the States, not in Australia, not wearing masks in the States. You know, faith over fear. Uh, you don't need to be afraid. You just need to have more faith and you'll be all right. Is that Christianity? Is that what we learn from this text? That's not going to help any of us change. How do we live with faith in the face of fears? I think this story teaches us how we must respond. And the first is, Jesus says to us that he is God. Jesus says, I am. And that means we must listen to him as he says that. We must listen to his voice. See, um, I think all of us know here today that being a Christian, it doesn't mean you won't go through stuff. You won't go through some storms. Being a Christian doesn't mean you won't have fears. Uh, and sometimes those troubles and trials, uh, they feel like waves just crashing against a boat in a stormy, choppy sea. And you know, maybe some of you guys are there right now uh, in the midst of those storms. Or maybe some of you have uh, fears and anxieties about the storms to come. You don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that freaks you out. Like if you really, really think about it deeply. And what you need isn't just a fix. What you need isn't just a solution to your problem, right? Like a job that falls into your lap, you know, money that comes comes into your bank account. But you need to hear Jesus say to you today, I am. I am God, and you are not. I am the Lord, and I am with you. You need that more than anything else. You need that to cut through the mix of everything that's going on in your life. You need to hear Jesus say, I am the Lord. And I want to read... um, passage from Isaiah 43. Um, It's a well-known passage about the Messiah, about Jesus. Uh, It's a passage that has this same phrase, I am. 
and it's about Jesus. And I want you to really think about your fears. I want you to be honest with the fears that you have today. Yet at the same time, I want to ask you to listen to these words that Jesus speaks to all of us. Thus says the Lord, He who created you, He who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And though the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God. what so many of us need to hear this morning. Jesus saying to us these words, I am the Lord your God. So don't be afraid. Take heart. I am with you. I'm with you through the waters. It won't overwhelm you. Secondly, Jesus shows that he is God. So we must look at his power, all right? We need to hear what he has to say, but we need to look at his power. And, you know, this is challenging for us because I think a lot of the time we try to think up of moments, specific moments in our lives when God has demonstrated his power to us. Um, You know, those walking on water moments. And I know, yeah, a lot of us have many of them. But have you ever noticed that over time, you know, those even those miraculous moments that seem so significant and effective start to kind of wear thin. And they don't hit home as much you know, as they used to. And, you know, I have so many of those moments. I was thinking about a couple uh, this, this past week. Um, you know, probably, probably the greatest miracle in my life is the way that uh, God healed my relationship with my parents. It was completely shattered and broken. Um, and I was preparing to run away from home. But God, in his mercy, intervened, and he, he turned that around. My parents forgave me, and I was reconciled to them. And you know, it was so miraculous to me that I started doing push-ups in my apartment when I found out that they were willing to forgive me. It was so ridiculous. But you know, it, that, that, that's a great working of God's power in my life. But you know, over time, it... it kind of wears a little thin. And if we want to see Jesus showing us his power, that he is God, we only need to look at the cross. See, on the cross, the one who has power over sin and death, the great I am, the one who made everything, the the one who made you and, and me, the one who holds us in the palm of his hand, he doesn't use that power to judge or to condemn us, but he sees our powerlessness to sin and death. And in this great act of love, he uses his power to die, to willingly die, to absorb all of our sins in himself, to die on a cross in our place, 
you know, that's true power when you're able to give it up in that way. It's not cheap talk. So we need to look at Jesus dying on the cross. You need to look at Jesus dying on the cross for you. And you'll see. You'll see that he really loves you. You'll see that he's really with you. You'll see that your sin and your death, your death to come, doesn't have power over you. And your greatest fears pale in comparison to who he is. So Jesus says that he's God, and we must listen to him. Jesus shows us that he's God, so we must look at his power. Finally, Jesus knows how to rescue his people. That's what we see finally in this text. So we must walk towards him in faith. Right? Jesus knows how to rescue his people, so we must walk towards him in faith. See, um, something that we kind of miss as we read this great story is, uh, you know, we can identify with Peter. There'll be moments in our lives where we have those fears about the present, about the future, about the past, and they're just overwhelming. And you start to sink. You start to sink in your anxiety. You start to panic and be overwhelmed and maybe try to look for something to distract yourself, but it doesn't help. And it causes you to take your eyes off Jesus. But this is so great. Uh, this, this story, in those moments, in precisely those moments, in Peter, we see him sinking and he cries out in faith. Weak faith. Lord, save me. And look at what it says in verse 31. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Immediately. There's no delay. There's no bargaining. Oh, you should have been you know, less doubtful. You should have had some more faith. The first thing that Jesus does when we cry out to him in our weak faith, in our fears, is he immediately reaches down and he holds us by the right hand. And that enables us to keep on going. And this is what it means to have faith in the face of fear. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about the object of your faith. And the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus, he knows how to rescue his people. It doesn't matter if your cry is weak, it's a whimper. If you just look to him and you cry out as you're sinking, Lord, save me. I can't save myself. I've tried, like, I've tried to distract myself. I've tried to look to these other things. I've buried my head in my work. I've you know, planned for all of these wonderful things to look forward to. I've bought this and this possession. But, but Lord, I still have these fears that control me, that, that, that grip me. I can't save myself. Lord, save me. My faith is little, and he will. Immediately, he will. Jesus knows how to rescue his people. So in faith, walk towards him. Don't hear what I have to say and just walk out and 
not do anything differently. Look at Jesus. Look at him saying that he is God. Look at him showing that he is God. And look at how he's able to rescue his people so that we might, we might walk in faith towards him. Let's pray. Father, uh, there are many people here today, myself included, uh, that are gripped by fears. Uh, and it's not that we want to be, uh, but it's just really hard. It's really hard to, you know, be courageous and, and bold for you. And we freely admit to you this morning that, uh, like, we can't conquer our fears and we can't just have bravado and, and muscle our way through life. There will always be something. There will always be something that is seeking to control us and enslave us and grip us. And Lord, what we need more than you know, just things to replace those things or solutions to those things is like, Lord, we, we need to hear your voice. So Lord, I, I ask that you would speak your people. I can't do that uh, for you on your behalf, Lord. You have a way of speaking to your people personally so that they might recognize your voice. So I ask that you would speak to them this morning. You would, sh- would say to them, I am the Lord and I am with you. Lord, I ask that you would also show to them your great power on the cross. I ask that they would gaze upon the cross, even if they feel like they've done it a thousand times before. But Lord, I pray that you would enable all of us to just gaze upon the cross and see what real power is. Power that died, power that laid down his life for the sake of his enemies. And Lord, in the midst of the very real anxieties and fears that we're going through right now, uh, Lord, uh, Remind us by your Holy Spirit that you know how to rescue your people. And that's, that's really what we need. Uh, we don't need just to be helped. We don't need just some tips and some teachings and some guidance from you. We need to be rescued to save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from depending and relying on ourselves so that we might wholeheartedly depend on you. We know when we do that, we can walk towards you in faith and our lives will change. Thank you and pray in Jesus' name.